Good morning and welcome to Midway. We are so thankful you've chosen to be with us. We want you to know that you're always welcome here. You may have noticed as we were coming in, as actually as we were getting started this morning, I was fooling with my phone and we got it up here and we are experimenting just a little bit, trying to make sure that we can get online and uh, uh, do some things with Facebook Live. We did that on Wednesday night and uh, had some success with it. Uh, we at least got it on there, but uh, a couple of people from here at Midway who were unable to be here have already told me they watched it, and so they were thankful that we were doing the, the new Facebook Live. But I noted on Monday, or rather Thursday morning, that 134 people had viewed the video. And so more people outside had viewed the video, and I don't know how long it may have been. All right, I click on it and then click off. That's altogether possible. But 134 people had done that as of Thursday morning for the one that we put up on Wednesday night. And so hopefully we'll be able to, to do that, use that technology to continue to spread God's Word, not only here in uh, the building, but also on the outside, not just in Jasper, but also in uh, other places. There's uh, access to this throughout the world. And so we'll join the masses that are already doing these kinds of things. We're a little bit behind on it, but we will join the masses in trying to get God's Word out in that way. As we begin our lesson this morning, have you ever driven by an old house? And you looked at that house and it's dilapidated and run down and falling in. And, and you look at it and you say, that must have been a pretty house at one time. You know, there's some architecture on this one that, that really, you know, when it was built, it probably looked really, really nice. But you begin to think about it. Why do houses like this begin to run down? Why, why do they get dilapidated like that? Why do they become like they do? I don't know all the reasons, but I do know at least a part. I do know that sometimes the owner gets sick or passes away and leaves the house and it just, you know, dilapidates. It may be that something else has taken place. Perhaps the owner of the house has become in some way mentally incapacitated and they can't take care of that house and so it just, you know, deteriorates. It doesn't take long for a house that's not being cared for to, to continue to, to go down. There may have been some tragedy that happened in that place and perhaps the owner abandoned it because of the tragedy that had taken place. It may be that the owner didn't have the money or the know-how to repair the house and just let it go down. Or it may be that the owner just didn't care. And so a house deteriorated over years of neglect. There are a multitude of reasons why old houses deteriorate, aren't they? And you have driven by, I'm sure, at least one in your lifetime. And you've seen one and you thought, wow, it's about to fall in. But you know what? Old houses can be restored, can't they? Old houses can be put back and look nice and sometimes they even look better perhaps than they looked before they began to deteriorate. They were better than they were to begin with. And as we think about that, you know, you see the restoration shows on television. If you go to HGTV, you'll see all kinds of different restoration shows. And, and they put these houses back, and sometimes they add new features. They do different things. And, and really and truly, they become more beautiful than they were from the day that they started. But you know what? Just like old houses, 
there are other things that need to be restored as well. What does the word restore mean? The word restore means literally to put back to the former or original state. You know, we want it like the house, not, not like the dilapidated part, but we want it to look good. We want it to look like it did when the owner first built that house. And houses can be brought back to their original state, put back to the former state, and, and made beautiful. But I want to know this morning, I have a question for you. This is not the real estate hour. We're not talking about houses just today. But I want to know this morning from you, have you ever felt like an old house in your spiritual life? Have you ever thought about that? That you're getting run down in your spiritual life, you're becoming dilapidated in your relationship with God? You're not as excited about God and the work of the Lord as you used to be? And you have some real problems in your own life? You know, the Bible talks about the wise man in the book of Matthew and how he built his house upon the uh, rock. Uh, he, he built his spiritual life upon the rock, the teachings of Jesus Christ, didn't he? On the other hand, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. He built his life the way that he lived. His spiritual life, as it were, was built upon things other than the foundation that God wanted him to build upon. And as a result of this, his life collapsed, his life fell. The wise man built wisely, the foolish man built foolishly. But you know what? We're sometimes like that in our own lives, aren't we? We allow ourselves to continue to dilapidate, to continue to run down when we really need some change. As I think about people back through time, I'm reminded of Adam and Eve. And I'm convinced that they must have sort of felt like an old house. They hadn't driven by one, obviously, and hadn't even seen one. But they must have felt something like an old house in their spiritual life when they sinned. We know that their eyes were opened. We know that they knew that they had sinned. And they didn't want to see God face to face when He came walking in the garden that day. There are a lot of people in our world who are like that. Their spiritual life begins to run down. And as a result of that, they don't want to see God. They don't want to face God. They don't want to face God's people. They don't want to be around God's people. And so they hide themselves because they know that they're not what they should be. They know that there's something amiss in their life. And it simp <coughs> excuse me, simply makes it worse as they try to live their life. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you know someone who used to be a faithful Christian, but something has happened in his or her life, and they're seeking, as it were, to hide themselves from God and to hide themselves from God's people. We know it's our job to go out and seek to restore those folks, but think about them. Adam and Eve's innocence was gone, and now their spirituality, they're spiritually uh, dead. They had died on that day. Adam and Eve were not the only ones. I'm sure David must have felt someone like, somewhat like an old house. Consider his life in regard to Bathsheba. The man after God's own heart commits adultery with her. The man after God's own heart uh, conceives a child with this woman. The man after God's own heart 
is a man who seeks to cover up his sin. And by so doing, eventually has a man murdered by putting him up on the front line of his army and having the army withdraw around him. David must have felt something like that when confronted by Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet looked David the king in the eye and said, You are the man. You're the one who has stolen the one little you lamb and sacrificed that lamb to feed somebody who is your friend. David must have felt something like that. You know, after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, he penned what we know as Psalm 51. And I don't want to focus on all of the psalm this morning. I simply want to focus on a few verses out of it. I want us to think about what David wrote in verses 10 through 13 of Psalm 51. David penned these words. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. This morning from David's inspired perspective, what was it going to take? What was going to be involved in the renewal of of his spirit. Notice in the first part of that, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. What is it that it was going to take for him? And if we can learn what it was going to take in the renewal of his spirit, then perhaps we ourselves can have our own spirits renewed so we can be more like him, so that we can have a joy again. This morning we're going to look at four main thoughts and these thoughts are not original with me. I have to give credit to the thoughts for, uh, for, to, to Brother Brian Kenyon who is the director of the School of Preaching down in Florida, down in Ocala. But I want to borrow from him this morning and I want to think about the four main things that he mentions in this particular passage. Number one, as we think about what it was going to take for David's spirituality, the renewal of his spirit to, to take place, it took a restoration of pure, personal purity. It had to be a personal purity had to be involved in the restoring of David's spirit. Notice the words again of verse number 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. One thing that we note is that when David writes, he is like a lot of the, uh, uh, the Jewish writers, the Hebrew writers. Uh, there's what we know as Hebrew parallelism. And so he would state something and then turn right around in the same breath and restate it in a different way. And so to create a clean heart was to create or renew a right spirit. Those two things are parallel in the writing. And we don't have time to deal with parallelism. Just understand that that takes place in this passage a lot. He'll say, say it one way and then he'll turn around and say it again. But think about what he says here. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You see, David's heart had become impure because of the lust that he had for Bathsheba, hadn't it? 
He was looking and he saw this woman who was bathing herself and she was beautiful and he desired to have her and he sinned and brought her and he committed adultery with her. His heart had been affected. His heart had been turned away. His heart had become impure. To hide his sin, again his heart was affected because he plotted to cover it up. He didn't want anyone to know. David's actions and David's motives were sinful, but we know that sin comes from the heart. But also change comes from the heart as well, doesn't it? Change begins in the heart. That's what God wants from us. You know, talking to the Jewish or to the to the Israelites in the book of Joel, chapter two, beginning in verse twelve and going through verse thirteen, Joel writes these words. He says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, Return to me, watch this, with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Now watch this in verse 13. And rend your hearts. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents from disaster. For the Israelites to get their lives right with God, God said to them through the prophet Joel, he said, check out your heart. Get your heart right. David already knew that. He lived before Joel and and he knew that. He said, I've got to start with my heart. His heart had become impure because of the lust that he had in it and he needed to get his own personal purity back. I've got to change. Do you remember back in the book of Acts chapter number 2 when Peter preached that these people had crucified the Christ? Do you remember what Luke records for us in verse number 37 of Acts chapter 2? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. English Standard Version says, if you're reading from the King James, they were pricked in their hearts. And so as we think about it, our heart has to be touched. You know, it's possible, possible for people to hear the Word of God and not change, isn't it? People sit and listen to sermons that you would think would move them to repentance, and they never change. Such was the case in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25, when the Apostle Paul was standing before Governor Felix and he reasoned with him about righteous temperance and judgment to come, and what did Felix do? He trembled and he says, I'll go on your way. One one day I might listen to you again. At a more convenient season, I may hear you again. And so as as we think, sometimes people hear, but they... They never change. Sometimes people sit in a pew, don't they? And they hear things that they need to correct in their own lives. And yet when they hear that, they pass it off because it never reaches the heart. It never gets down to where the change truly is made. Their spirit is not renewed. Mark put it this way, 
quoting the words of Jesus, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. They defile a person. May I ask you a personal question this morning? Does your heart need cleansing this morning? To make a change in that personal purity, whatever it may be, it may not be lust like David had, but it may be hatred. It may be too much pride. It may be some other sin that we have hidden way down in our life. It may be anger. It may be all kinds of things that really needs to be purged out of the heart. You see, if we want a renewed spirit this morning, David said, by inspiration, that we need to have our hearts cleansed. He needed his personal purity cleansed. Secondly, this morning, a restoration of the assurance of God's divine presence is involved in restoring one's spirit. What do we mean by that? Well, look at verse number 11. David writes these words. He says, Cast me not away from what? Your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. To be cast away from the presence of God was to have His Holy Spirit taken away from Him. There's that Hebrew parallelism again, stating it one way and then turning right around and restating it. But I wonder what David was thinking about when he wrote those words. Maybe he was thinking about the time when he himself was anointed to be king. I want you to listen closely to what is said in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 13 and going through verse 14. The Bible says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, wasn't it wonderful for God's Spirit to dwell upon and to dwell in David? Did it evidently in a miraculous way. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now watch verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. You know, upon his anointing, David had, uh, had the Lord's Spirit inhabit him, and he knew of that, but he also witnessed King Saul. And his downward spiral, having known that the Lord's Spirit had departed from him. And King Saul went from bad to worse. He tried to kill David, even, you know, he had praised him to begin with and had given him his daughter to marry, but, but now as David has become popular, King Saul has gone down. It started with his rebellion, King Saul's rebellion, by not doing what God said and destroying some people and some animals and the things that God told him to destroy. And it continued to get worse until one day even King Saul threw a spear at David. And it spiraled downward until the time that King Saul was wounded in battle and finally commits suicide himself. 
David didn't want the Spirit of the Lord to depart from him. You know, as we think about what is taught in the New Testament, the Spirit of the Lord does inhabit us. In the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 9, Paul would write about the fact of the Spirit dwelling in us. We cannot deny that. Now there's some discussion and debate as to exactly how the Spirit indwells us. No one that I know of in the Lord's church who takes either the, the direct indwelling of the Holy Spirit or that He indwells us through the Word would say that He would do anything miraculously and would do it in that way. We're not going to debate that this morning. But we as Christians have the Spirit of the Lord with us. And we need that and we want that. But you know what? Just as David was keenly aware of the fact that the divine presence of God could leave him, he can leave us too. He can leave us behind as well. As I think about that, I'm reminded of what is said in the book of Romans chapter 1, three times, verses 24, 26, and 28. The Bible says that God gave them up. Speaking about the Gentiles, in their sinful state that he describes there in in the first chapter of the book of Romans, God gave them up. Those whose minds were set on the flesh are the ones upon whom God's Spirit does not continue to be. Verse uh, 7 uh, of, uh, of uh, that passage. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we've talked about this on uh, Wednesday night. We're studying 1 John. And in verses 6 and 7 of the first chapter, it's possible for us to say that we have fellowship while walking in darkness. But that doesn't make it true. To walk in darkness takes us away from God and away from the goodness, His fellowship that we have. But think about what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 at verse number 27. Paul, after discussing some things there, said, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest I, after preaching to others, I myself, English Standard Version says, unless I myself should be disqualified. The word literally means to be rejected, but if you read it from the English, or rather the King James Version, Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. Cast away, rejected by God. You see, the sin that David committed in his life was grounds for God to leave him, just as it had been grounds for God to leave King Saul. And David did not want that. As an individual this morning, stop and think about something with me. Is Christ the constant center of your thoughts? You see, what I'm asking is, what is our standing with the divine presence of God today? If we're really not thinking about Him and how to be like Him, and one day how to be with Him, we're probably sort of walking out of the light at that point in our life. We really need to be considering 
our relationship with our Lord? How's our, how's our divine uh, standing with the divine presence? Am I continually looking for better ways to serve my Lord? Or am I just content to drag along and maybe attend worship on a Sunday morning and, and not really worry about it any other time? How's my standing with the divine presence? Does my Christianity just exist? Am I just a Christian in name only? Is it moving at a snail's pace? Do I seem like I'm in a rut? Is that my life? You see, if that is the case, then maybe I need to examine myself and my relationship, my standing of where God is. What about this? Am I really looking forward to going to heaven? Paul said he wanted to go. He said, I know it's better for me to stay here, to be with... I'd rather be with the Lord, but I know it's better for me to be here. That's the case with some of us, isn't it? We know that there are still things that we need to do. We have families to raise. We want to raise them to be Christians. We have people that we want to reach so that we can take them to heaven. That was Paul's case. He, that's what he wanted to do in continuing to be an apostle of the Lord. We know that, that there are things that, that we need to be doing down here for the Lord, but I'm not talking about are we, getting, are, are, are we wanting to go today. I'm just talking about are we wanting to go. Sometimes I think we lose sight of that. And because we lose sight of the fact that, that that's the ultimate goal is to get there. Not to get ahead in life. Not to be rich and not to be famous and not to have all kinds of, uh, uh, of acclaim in this world. But to get to heaven. Amen. There are a lot of people who probably won't get there because they don't want to go. Think that one through for a moment. It's not their prime idea. It's not their mission in their life to get themselves to heaven. And as a result of that, other things fill up their life. If that's not a part of my life, I need to check to see about my standing with the divine presence. Of the Lord. But number three, a restoration of joyful enthusiasm is involved in restoring one spirit. Verse 12 of Psalm 51, David said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. How much stress do you think David must have been under because his closeness with God had been interrupted? I've already referred to him in this passage as the man after God's own heart. I didn't describe him that way. God described him that way. We read about it in Scripture. How much stress, though, do you think he was under knowing that his relationship with his God had been undermined by his own lust? I think David was not a happy camper. I think there, there was really that, that hurt in his life you know what? I don't have to wonder about that because he wrote about it. 
Listen to a couple of passages in Psalm. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. David said this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In his sinful condition, there was no joy in David's life. As you look out over an audience sometimes, you see people who are smiling. They're happy. In spite of the fact that they may be hurting from some disease or some heartache in their life, they're, they're smiling and they're happy. They know the joy of the Lord. But sometimes in the same audience you look and you see others whose face is not that way. They, they seem to be hurting for some reason. No, there is such a thing as a conscience, isn't there? And sometimes our consciences begin to bother us. It is hard to hide sin. Oh, I'm not talking about this morning keeping people from finding out it may be possible for us to live an entire lifetime and nobody ever know what we've done. There have been murderers who have gotten away and nobody ever knew what they had done. It may be possible for us in this life to get away with sin and no one ever finds out. That's not what I'm talking about when I say it's hard to hide sin. I'm talking about folks with a conscience. The ones who are struggling this morning with living in fear that someone is going to find out about my sin. Living with the guilt that's so difficult, so crushing in their own life. That's what's hard about it. Knowing that your relationship with God has been severed. A wall has been built between you and Him by your sin. No wonder folks are unhappy. No wonder the Spirit has fallen. David said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Do you remember the day when you were baptized into Christ? How happy you felt felt like the weight of the world was gone. You were happy about what had just taken place. Do you still feel that same way this morning? You should. You ought to. You need to. You can. If you don't, though, what would it take? to bring it back to you. See, David was pleading for God to restore to him the joy of his salvation. He needed his personal purity back. He needed that presence of God back. And that's what's going to bring the joy back into your life and into mine. But then thirdly and very quickly this morning, or fourthly rather, a restoration of the evangelistic spirit is involved in restoring one's spirit. Look at verse 13. You can't read verses 10, 11, and 12 without reading verse 13 with it. He says, Then 
I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Notice the first part of that. Then I will teach. If I understand it correctly in Hebrew, that is one word. A word in the future tense. A word indicating some action that David himself would take. And by future tense, I'm not talking about someday, but David is talking about when I have had my own personal purity restored and my, the divine presence of God back with me and that joy that I had prior to this was back with me. He says, when all of that's happened, this is what I'm going to do. What are you going to do, David? Then I will teach transgressors your way. Then I will help sinners to understand how to come back. You know, there are sinners out there. There are transgressors out there who are just like me. They're hurting because of their severed relationship with God. They're hurting because of the problems that they have created in their own life. They're hurting. And they need to know how to come back. David said, when this takes place in my life, I'm going to tell everybody about it. I'm going to let folks know. I'm going to help them understand that they can have what I have and be what I am. Get that progression of his restoration. I get my life right. I know that I have that wonderful relationship back with God. My joy now overflows and I tell others what I now have and how they can have it too. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Think about it this way. Luke chapter 19 at verse 10. What was the mission of Jesus when He came? We talked about it in our class this morning. We're studying through the gospel accounts and putting them together, seeing them in order, and, you know, learning from them. And, and one of the things that we mentioned this morning is, is that Jesus tells some folks, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. And there's some reasons for that, and we don't have time this morning in this class or this lesson to, to deal with that altogether, except for the fact that sometimes Jesus' mission would have been hindered by people bringing more sick folks for Him to heal. His mission was not just to heal people. His mission was to seek and to save that which is lost. According to himself, Luke chapter 19 at verse number 10. That was his mission. But you know what? He transferred his mission to his apostles. As he was getting ready to go back into heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection, he transferred his mission to his apostles. What do you mean by that? Think about what he said in the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. He tells them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Preach what? The good news. Preach the good news. Good news for who? Those people who are lost because they can be saved. He transferred it to them. But you know what? They in turn transferred that to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse number 2 says, 
Paul speaking, he says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's our job today to tell others about Christ. Sometimes I think we get caught up and we just want to tell people they're lost. Don't we? Now, folks have to know they're lost before they can want to be saved. Don't misunderstand me this morning. Our job, though, is not to just tell folks they're lost. Our job is to tell folks how they can be saved. That's what God wants. And you know what? That's sort of what David was. Because of his personal purity becoming wrong, his relationship with God suffered. He himself suffered. But when it came back, I've got to tell folks. I've got to tell folks. I've got to tell everybody. And that's really what we need to be doing. And so that's why he writes in verse 13 that when all of this takes place, then I will teach transgressors your way. As we close our lesson this morning, for those who pass by, how does your spiritual house look? Those who are looking at your life, when they see you, how does your spiritual life look? You know, Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. Sometimes by the fruits that people see in our own lives, they see that house that's run down. They see that house that is dilapidated. They see that house that's falling in. Wouldn't you rather them see the other side? Wouldn't you rather live so that they see the good side? But you know what? As important as it is for people to see us so that they'll see Christ living in us, may I ask you another question this morning? When you look at your own spiritual house and you know it better than anybody, what do you see? What do you see in your house this morning? Your spiritual house. Is it dilapidated? Run down? In need of repair? The restoration of your spirit this morning involves the restoration of your own personal purity. Is there something in your life that you need to get right? You need to repent of and get straightened out in your life. The restoration of your spirit this morning involves the restoration of the assurance of the divine presence in your life. Are you walking in the fellowship of the Lord? You're not if you're not walking in the light, walking in His Word. The restoration of the joyful enthusiasm that is the mark, should be the mark of every Christian is going to be involved in the restoration of your spirit this morning. Are you excited about telling people about Christ? Ho-hum, worried? I hope we're excited. The restoration of your spirit this morning involves the restoration of your evangelistic spirit. That must be indicative of every saved person.
If you're not willing and wanting to tell somebody about what you have and how they can have it, maybe you need some changes in your life. Maybe all of us do. But we need to have that spirit of telling others about the blessed gospel, the salvation that's found in our Lord. If you're here this morning, not a Christian, put your Lord on in baptism today. If you're here this morning and you need to get your spiritual house patched up as a Christian, patched back up the way that it needs to be, not just patched up, but restored back to what it's supposed to be, and you have a need in a public way this morning, why don't you come and let us help you with that as together we stand and sing.